We are supported by SportsMed IQ, where you can find all the tools you need to be your best in sports medicine and recovery. Go to sportsmediq.com to access blogs and a weekly newsletter highlighting the latest research and trends to care and injury prevention, treatment, and recovery. You also find links to each of our podcast episodes, access to educational courses, and links to our favorite products. I created this site to house all that I've learned over the last two decades as an orthopedic surgeon, physical therapist, and personal trainer. So check out sportsmediq.com for all your sports medicine needs. Welcome to the Sports Docs Podcast with Dr. Ashley Bassett and Dr. Katherine Logan. On each episode, we chat about the most recent developments in sports medicine and dissect through all the noise so you know which literature should actually impact your practice. Today, we're coming to you live from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons annual meeting in Las Vegas, our largest orthopedic conference. This year, over 20,000 orthopedic professionals gathered at the AOS meeting to take part. The educational program is comprised of instructional course lectures, video theater, live surgeries, podium presentations, and research posters. Over the next several episodes, we're going to be reviewing five sports medicine posters that were presented at the AOS meeting. On this podcast, we try to review the most updated literature on different sports medicine topics. So reviewing some of the posters that were just presented at AOS is particularly exciting for us because this is very new data. So new that most of this data has not even been published yet. We're joined by Dr. Brian Waterman to get his take on these poster presentations. Dr. Brian Waterman is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon specializing in adult and pediatric sports medicine, cartilage restoration and joint preservation, complex knee surgery, and shoulder and elbow care. He is the chief of sports medicine at Wake Forest University and the director of their sports medicine fellowship program. Dr. Waterman completed his orthopedic surgery residency at William Beaumont Army Medical Center and served 13 years in the U.S. Army, earning multiple honors, including the Meritorious Service Medal and the Army Commendation Medal. Dr. Waterman then went on to complete a sports medicine fellowship at Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. He is the team physician for Wake Forest University, the Winston-Salem Dash, U.S. Ski and Snowboard, and several local high schools. Dr. Waterman is an associate editor for the Arthroscopy Journal and is on the board of directors for the Arthroscopy Association of North America. Given his extensive experience with orthopedic research, Dr. Waterman led the sports medicine poster tour at AOS this year, so we're really looking forward to getting his unique perspective on these poster presentations. So let's get started with our first poster, titled Factors Associated with Return of Quadriceps Strength Following ACL Reconstruction Using Quad Tendon Autograph. Persistent quad strength deficit following ACL reconstruction is very concerning. It's associated with ACL retears, diminished patient reported outcomes, lower return to sport, altered knee joint kinematics, and increased risk of osteoarthritis. The purpose of this retrospective cohort study was to identify factors that influence the return of knee extensor strength following ACL reconstruction with quad tendon autograft. Researchers at UPMC found that lower preoperative patient-reported clinical scores, including higher pre-op pain level and lower self-reported function, female sex, and the use of BFR consistently post-op was associated with a lower likelihood of achieving post-op knee extensor strength symmetry in quad-autographed ACL reconstructions. So I'd like to start off by discussing that finding that use of BFR or blood flow restriction, quote unquote, post-op was associated with a lower likelihood of return of quad strength post-op. We've talked about BFR extensively on this show. We've reviewed numerous articles on this topic. 
Many studies have actually shown that BFR improves strength gains and or muscle bulk after knee surgery with some studies showing no difference. But to my knowledge, I have not seen a paper that shows a negative impact of BFR. But with 173 patients in the study and a p-value of 0.004, we obviously have to take this finding seriously. So Dr. Waterman, were you surprised by this finding uh, negatively associated with BFR? Any thoughts as to why BFR could have this negative impact on return to quad strength after ACL reconstruction? Yeah, no, I think, think, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, uh, It's a counterintuitive finding, but the way I would explain it in my head is is maybe that's a proxy for people that are more weak. So because they are weak, they're getting BFR preferentially, and as a result, that's probably an indication for them to be at decreased peak and average, you know, torque for their extensor. That's a really good thought. That's a good thought. I was also thinking maybe because the quads compromised, perhaps, uh, you know, the incision, depending on how big the incisions are, things like that, could potentially lead to a bit of more quad shutdown. I know we see more stiffness after ACLs using quad autograft. Do you see that as well, too? I do. I think some of it uh, depends on whether you take a bone block, whether it's two or three lamina, how you handle the the donor site, do you close it, uh, how are you rehabbing it early. What we found, we looked at our own individual data series and we found that our quads actually returned back to the comparable level of strength versus a contralateral side about a month later than BTB, which is kind of surprising. What it's led to us to do is to probably uh, be a little bit more intentional about engaging that quad early, try to rehabilitate it, see if we can get some early activation and decrease weight-bearing limitations as much as possible. Okay, makes sense. Um, so based on these findings in this poster, are you going to change your approach? You kind of mentioned already earlier quad activation and things like that. Anything that you would do, um, maybe pre-op BFR or something like that, would yeah. you maybe avoid um, use of quad in female patients and those with poor pre-op clinical scores given these findings? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I think that uh, um, quad and BFR are two really significant booms within the past three to five years. Uh, the protocol by which you implement BFR preoperatively as well as postoperatively, I don't know if we have the ideal kind of mixture for it yet. So I, I definitely try to engage that early, especially if you do have some element of meniscal or cartilage um, uh, procedure that limits weight bearing. Uh, if somebody is um, of advanced age, I would be a little bit more readily implementing BFR. Um, for uh, changing practice, I think, um, as the authors alluded, having that preoperative counseling discussion about the potential deficits that you are at heightened risk, that this may be more sustained recovery period. And I just always kind of introduce what the normative values are. You know, on average, it's about eight to 10 months for somebody of your age, sex involvement. With regards to gender, you know, I find that the quad is probably one of the best graphs for me. I I really hesitate to use hamstring in any female, especially uh, just based on the relative imbalance um, and quad to hamstring ratio, and then also the degree of hyperlaxity and weaker bottom all make me concerned. So then you might ask, well, what about BTB? I think for me, there may be a slightly higher risk for anterior residual knee pain, and, uh, and so I'm trying not to incur too much donor site morbidity with that. So quad is a a good happy medium, especially in that uh, 20s to 30s active individual, maybe even into their 40s. So I think that was a really good point made um, by Brian Waterman. Catherine, what are your thoughts? Do you agree uh, with that 
that idea that maybe patients who are sent to undergo BFR had more quad deficits to start with? Or do you think there could be another potential explanation for this? I think that's the hard part about poster abstracts is we only have a certain amount of information presented and we have to wait for the full paper to come out. Um, so we don't know a lot about the patient population. We don't know why were certain people doing BFR. Was everybody sent to BFR um, as part of the PT protocol? Were certain um, patients sent because perhaps they also had a cartilage surgery? Perhaps they also had a meniscus surgery and they were non-weight bearing? You know, all these things would impact um, the strength down the line. And those are the things that we just don't know based on a poster abstract alone. So me, I'd be interested to know, you know, what other concomitant um, injuries or surgical procedures did these folks have? Were they doing BFR for a particular reason? You know, were they having difficulty activating or was this just part of the standard routine? If it's part of the standard routine, they didn't have additional surgeries, then, you know, I would still be a little bit, um, I would be like more bummed, I would just say that yeah, BFR is um, because it, it's thus far shown really, really great data. Um, so I think the hard part is we just don't know enough about that patient population. Yeah, I completely agree. I'd be curious to know if this surgeon's protocol or the surgeons included just sent everyone to BFR. I know you and I have spoken about this. We sent everyone to BFR unless there's a contraindication uh, after any knee surgery, but especially after ACL reconstruction. Um, and then obviously knowing like age and what the what the BFR protocol was too, right? We've spoken in our BFR episode that they vary widely throughout the paper. Right. So if it was BFR only for a couple of weeks that they may include as having post-op BFR, I mean, does that really make an impact? So you're right. I, I am very much looking forward to, to reading this paper once it's ultimately published and finding out about those patients. Yeah, for sure. So we just got to stay tuned. Yeah. So anytime we're looking at these poster abstracts, uh, we have to sort of ask ourselves, does this change your practice? So Ashley, for you, you know, does this change? Are you going to take BFR out of your ACL quad protocols? Are you going to um, be more worrisome about it? Are you going to maybe use it less in female patient populations or those with lower pre-op clinical scores? So short answer is no. I would say, especially to the BFR question, I really have seen a lot of benefits from BFR anecdotally, but also in a lot of the literature that's out there. And a lot of the literature I anticipate is going to be published very soon in the near future. In terms of graph choice, you know, I our female patients they really have a struggle, right? Hamstring tendons have been shown to have a higher rate of uh, rupture uh, after ACL reconstruction in females compared to males. I think it's due to the smaller size of hamstrings. Uh, females are more predisposed to patellofemoral pain. And so using BTB, which is predisposed to development of anterior knee pain, you don't love to do BTB in that patient population. So you're kind of left with quad for autograph. So, and I think it's a really good graph for this population. It's really robust. It's not as much size concerns. So I don't think I would pull this graph from my female population simply because of, of this data. But what are your thoughts? No, totally agree. I think it's an interesting finding. I do think that quad strength can sometimes be a little bit tricky in this population in general. So if they're coming in with lower um, pre-op clinical scores, they're female, perhaps maybe um, had reduced um, quad girth sort of bilaterally. You know, there's a lot of other things that sort of impact this. Um, so I certainly still love it as a graft. Um, I love the size. I love the collagen content there. You know, there's so many reasons 
Um, and I think I'm just going to watch closely for this paper to come out so I can really dive into the details and look at really what they're sort of speaking about um, and how BFR um, seems to have had a negative impact. Um, but I'm certainly not changing my practice yet. Thank you for listening to this mini episode of the Sports Docs. We hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as we did. On the next mini episode, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Brian Waterman and shift our focus to the management of meniscus tears and the costs associated with different treatment strategies. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to stay up to date on all things sports medicine. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review. You can also reach us by email at thesportstockspod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at thesportstockspod. We love your feedback.